This podcast is presented by Ride for Mental Health, an organization dedicated to breaking the mental health stigma in the action sports community. To support our cause, you can purchase merchandise or donate directly on our website at rideformh.org. We appreciate your support. Welcome to the Tell Me More podcast. I am Pippa Scott, founder of Ride for Mental Health. Just a reminder to please tell your friends you love them. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Tell Me More podcast. Today, I am here with Mark Rosenberg. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So let's get right into it. Tell me about yourself. Where are you from? The sports you do, your passions. All right. Well, first off, you know, I really appreciate you having me on. I think what you're doing here, Penelope, in terms of creating a podcast around destigmatizing mental health is phenomenal. As a mental health professor myself, I think we mean more youth like you who are motivated in supporting others with really rich content like this. So I'm excited to be participating and, and tell me more. Like Penelope said, my name is Mark Rosenberg. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. That's my credential. That doesn't mean I just explicitly practice in marriage and family. I'm based out of San Diego, Encinitas specifically, as well as Lake Arrowhead, California. So me and my family reside in both locations, and I have practices running in between both locations, as well as a mental strength coaching business that runs basically international. I am passionate about action sports. I'm passionate about outdoor adventure sports. More so because that's how I was raised. I was raised outdoors. And so many, much of what I have come to learn about myself has come from the sports that I partake in. My big passion is snowboarding. Um, I've been doing that since I was five years old. And now that I have my own two little kids, 18 months and three and a half, they're both starting to snowboard as well. And so sharing in my passions of the outdoors, along with really diving into the action sports world, not only in a personal realm, but also what I do in terms of my professional world is really important to me. That's great. It's all great stuff. Yeah. So with snowboarding, did you like grow up doing that? How did you get into snowboarding? Yeah, well, I started out like many kids my age back then in my generation as a skier. I was introduced to skiing early on and the Christmas tree and kind of tied toes and just getting out there with my family. But around the age of six years old, I was kind of hanging out with some friends on the mountain. And they actually lived up in Mammoth. And we were introduced to a board. And we got out there on the board. And my dad was very motivated in teaching me something new, something innovative. And that was kind of the start of it. I, I left the skis behind. I was strapped in. And the rest is kind of history. Snowboarding for me has really come very naturally, along with many board sports in my life. So I'm very gifted by that process. It's not the only sport that I partaked in. Hockey was a big proponent of my life as well and still is. But getting outdoors and, and really utilizing that as a kid was a great escape space for me to really kind of go out and adventure and, and really allow for the journey of the process of the sport to, to kind of take hold with my friends. So, yeah, that's kind of what got me started. I also want to know more about how you like balance everything in your life because, I mean, you just named so many things that you are dealing with like day to day I just want to know how you like balance yourself and honestly your soul just like how you can just do all of it it's a very good question and you know that's actually something that I work a lot with with my clients balance 
Um, I think that's something that many of us struggle with is how to balance our life, both in terms of professional and personal and then everything that comes in between. For me, balance is very critical. And I'm very fortunate to have a wife who is also a clinician in the field of mental health. And so we work together to really hold each other accountable to making sure that our life is structured in a way where we are not overloaded in one sector of our life. For me, sports, recreation, outdoors, it's self-care. And it is something that I have to have a part of my life. Now, if it was up to me, I'd be doing it 100% of my time, right? And I would find ways to incorporate my, my professional life into that, which I actually do. But obviously, there's other things that we have to take care of. So how do I find balance? I really kind of lean on the support of my wife and those people in my life who are in my inner circle to help me acknowledge what's important, to really acknowledge my values. In life, we only, we have, we don't have just one value. We have multiple values. And so once we understand what our values are, we can selectively place different things into our everyday life that fuels that balance. So that's really important. A concept that we really talk about a lot in our work that we do with our athletes as well as in our private practice is intentionalism, being intentional about what you do, being purposeful. So it's really about taking the opportunity to choose what I do each and every day with the thought process of what do I want to get out of it? And that provides a level of balance. I love all that. I feel like I definitely struggle with running ride for mental health and being in high school and also being a competitive snowboarder. I definitely find it hard and have, having an active social life. It just feels like so hard to like find where like my perfect like center of balance is. So I always love to ask people who like do similar things as I do, how they do it. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to learn, right? Is when you can really lean into other people's experiences. It is really hard to be doing what you do, right? I mean, high school is hard enough in terms of this academics and social life and managing the ins and outs of, of the, the expectations, let alone trying to be a professional snowboarder and really living out your passion there. And obviously doing what you're doing in terms of this philanthropy piece of really giving back. It is very hard. At the same time, it's, it's very purposeful in everything that you're doing. What I would just say is find time to slow down and that helps bring balance. Yeah, I definitely struggle with the slowing down. I feel like I just like want to keep moving, stay on my treadmill. But sometimes so I really I. like reading. So I feel like I like get into like the calming piece with reading. Yeah, reading's phenomenal. I mean, anything that you can be attuned to without all the distractions that come with our everyday life, especially screens and phones and social media and anything that influences overstimulation is phenomenal. Um, because it centers our attention. It really rebalances ourselves. And so that's, like we talked about balance, that's all that we're really looking to do is find a mindfulness to get into a place of rebalance. Yeah. I would say something with Ride for Mental Health that I come across a lot of stereotypes and definitely something that I'm really interested to learn from you is like, what's a common stereotype you see a lot like regarding mental health? It's a very good question. And there's many stigmas or stereotypes, right, as it relates to mental health, unfortunately. You know, I put some thought into that question. And I think ultimately, through all of the different types of stereotypes, I think the biggest one that stands out for me, especially as it relates to sports and athletics and being an athlete, is the idea that mental health equals weakness, right? 
that if we are struggling in terms of our mental health, that we are in some way weak or less than or limited in our life. And that's just not the case, right? And so I think one of the biggest things that, you know, we look to achieve in terms of being a mental health advocate, and that's some of the work that I definitely, you know, am very passionate about in my work, is empowering others, especially through education and doing things like this today with you, sharing, is breaking down the, 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 the common sense of what mental health really means. And ultimately, what mental health means is we have health that is related to our mental ability, our cognition, our brain, just like we do with our physical health. We all have it. Five out of five people have mental health, right? One out of five struggle with mental illness. Now, mental illness definitely looks different when we talk about it. But at the, at the same time, normalizing the experience, I think, is what, is what is most important. And empowering to make it a strength, not a weakness, not a limitation, can be very powerful. Because when we start to look into our mental health, we gain insight. We gain power. We gain choice over what happens in our life. And that's very powerful. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think with Ride for Mental Health, with being a athlete that I see a lot of people will be like, well, no, I can't really talk about that because like people aren't going to view me as strong or like I'm going to be viewed as less than, especially in the action sports community and with like striving to become an Olympian. It's like, no, I can't really show any weakness. Like I have to be so, so tough and I can't let anybody like see me crack. And I feel like with Pride for Mental Health, it's definitely been a big conversation starter, at least with a lot of coaches to be like, no, like we need to let these athletes like be able to like confide in you and like be honest about how they're really feeling. Yeah, I mean, that's huge, right? I mean, and, and that's, again, some of the work that we work to try to achieve is, is changing the culture of what it means to experience mental health, not only in actual sports, but across sports. And I think what we've started to see is that in, in more traditional or mainstream sports, your basketball, your football, your hockey, your baseball, there has been an acceptance of bringing in professionals and resources to really support at the elite level and moving down into collegiate and amateur levels, mental health. What we're seeing, I think, in action sports is a little few steps behind, right, that process. While at the U.S. OPC level or the Olympic level, there are some very established programs and supports and services available as relates to athlete holistic wellness or wellness in general, including mental health. You're right. I think that in action sports and in amateur action sports, there is a few steps, we're a few steps behind and to empower coaches, empower executives, empower parents and empower athletes like yourself to find that voice and to learn how to create space to let that voice be heard is so crucial. And that's why I think what you're doing is phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah. I think that another thing that I like think about so much with Ride for Mental Health is with mental health professionals is what's the most common question that you get? Like, what's one that you're like, oh, I know how to answer that so quickly because people just ask you all the time. What is it that I do? Is basically a question that I seem to get, right? Like, what is a therapist? What is a mental strength coach? What do you do? And, you know, I think it's a great question. Uh, I think that, you know, if you look at like mainstream media and how therapy and counseling are portrayed, again, we talk about stigma as a stereotype, you know, it tends to be, you know, a, a professional sitting on a couch, 
in an office space, very calm, very meditative in sense. Patients laying on a couch, talking about their experiences. You know, in a traditional sense, that's how we maybe create an image around that. And that the mental illness that is being portrayed is very much debilitating to their life, right? That's just not the case. The way that I practice, the way that I work as I talk to clients is that I'm a mentor. I'm a guide of your life in the sense of your life's experiences. And so I tell people that I act like a mirror, right? I mirror you back to you, but in a different way that you maybe haven't experienced in the past. And I think that's so powerful because I think the portrayal of, again, mental health and mental illness is that there's something wrong, that you're unique to these experiences. And so we get really personalized in that. We identify so deeply as like something's wrong with me. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I'm having these extensive worries or fears. And if we can normalize that by, as you kind of, you know, express giving a level of empowerment to people through the message of what it really means to see a therapist, see a coach, see a counselor, you know, dive into this personal work. It can be really, really life changing. Um, the culturally changing is what, you know, what we're really, really trying to strive for. Yeah. I think that a question that I feel like with Ride for Mental Health that I have, not the one that I'm asked, I feel like when I'm talking to people that I feel like when they're explaining to me what's wrong with their life and like the issues that they're having, and I want to tell them, like, I, think I'm not the right person to be having this conversation with. Like, I think that like a mental health professional, a licensed therapist can help you. I feel like when I bring up the word like therapist, like people back up like as far as they can. And I wish that I could remove the stigma from that word. But I also wish that I had the right thing to say to people in those times. So like, what would you like when you use the word like therapist, what you agree, like a similar reaction is given? Depending on the person, yeah. I think that a therapist can sometimes, again, be very triggering for people, especially youth. And so, you know, I tend to not classify myself personally as a therapist. I talk about myself, like I mentioned, as a guide, as a mentor, as a coach. I think that there's more of a, a an ability to align with somebody when we can break down a level of true understanding of what it is that they're going to be walking into. I think it's important, though, what you said about yourself, right, as when somebody comes to you, because, you know, we all have the ability to be empathic in some way, compassionate, considerate, understanding, a good listener, a good friend, right? Mm -hmm. And so everything that I just expressed there is ultimately what a therapist entails at a ground level. Now, I'm obviously clinically trained in many different areas to better understand the cognitive process, the phys physiology process of mental health as it relates to a person. But at the human level, we all are just trying to understand one another and within the framework of understanding ourselves. And when you can give that gift to somebody, I think it's really huge. And so, yeah, that I think is very important. Letting people know that it's not just, it's not therapy, it's a process of learning about yourself, you know? Yeah, I understand. I feel like I definitely, when talking to kids my age, especially, I agree with how it's like more common in youth that 
when I'm having these conversations, I like don't even know what to say when people start to like, 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 oh, no, I'm not into that. I like don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to go because I'm like, no, no, no. It's like not like, come back. I know. <laughs> but you yeah. know, what's interesting is when you say come back, it's almost like the, the, the you know, the title of your, your podcast. Tell me more. People want to just be able to be heard. They want to be able to be seen for who they are, not judged, not criticized. Some of our biggest fears in opening up to people is how are they going to see me? How are they going to view me? What are they going to see in me if I open up about my challenges, right? Mm-hmm. But if we're good listeners, if we're good, if we create available space for people, the tell me more can be very, very telling and very powerful. Yeah, right. That's well said. Yeah. I would say next is like, that's the most asked question. What is like a question that you wish was asked more? You know, I put some thought into that as well. And I think one of the questions that I would love to hear more from either clients of mine or just people seeking out support in this area of their life would be help me understand myself. Right. Like the idea of insight. A lot of times when clients come to me, you know, and this is not generalized, it's very selective in the approach of each different person and their experience of what they're seeking out in terms of their personal growth, is what is it inside of me that is really evoking the challenges that I'm experiencing? Mm -hmm. We're not just one piece. We're not one domain in our life. There's many environmental factors that make us who we are, including internal factors. And so I would love to hear more about how people want to seek out understanding of themselves from inside out versus outside in. Because a lot of times we're looking at the judgments or others, looking at the comparability. We're looking at the cultural influences that make us who we feel like we are versus really going inward and going, no, I want to figure out who I am first. And then I'll put that against the world around me, right? And so when clients do come to me with that approach, awesome. I get to meet them there. and We get to really work on that process. When they don't, that's really where I try to steer them is who you are in terms of your identity ought to not be dictated about the outside influences as much as the inside influences. And that's where self-esteem, self-confidence, self-worth, feeling deserved and everything you can have in your life kind of really is fueled from. Got it. I love everything about that. I think with Ride for Mental Health, when I talk to people about stuff like that, I agree with you. I just feel like it's like, don't you like want to learn more? Like, don't you just want to like be able to understand yourself completely? And sometimes I feel like especially teenagers are like, nope, I'm good with where I'm at. I don't need to know anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that- adults want to learn more. Well, I think youth want to learn more too. They really do believe that. I think that there is a protective barrier to being vulnerable when it comes to wanting to learn more. And again, a lot of that is how it's influenced. Okay, so much of what we learn is through imitation and modeling from a very early age in our life. And I'm a true believer in that, that our youthful experiences growing up have a big impact on our in our adult life. And so a lot of the influences that teenagers go through right now in their own lives, both on what they've experienced outwardly in their own family units and also in their social circles, and then what you know culturally is told to them through society, plays on how they want to learn about themselves. 
it's also scary to learn about yourself because there's some unknowns, right? There's a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. when we look inward. So sometimes we just want to stay with the status quo and feel comfortable, and that's okay, right? Yeah. But sometimes that's what really guides a lot of the mental health challenges that we do have as well. So when I get a client that's willing to at least start the process of saying, hey, I don't know if I want to look at myself or not, but whatever I'm feeling right now doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel congruent. I don't feel aligned, both in terms of my personal and my maybe at my athletic life. We can work with that, right? It's simply a showing up and being, being willing to do so is what's most important, I think, in getting that process started. Got it's it. scary. Yeah. yeah, it definitely is scary. Yeah, I I think that just learning more about yourself is scary, but I think it's something that's very important that everyone should do. It is. Another question that this more pertains to how I kind of stand in the mental health community and when I'm talking to people, one that I'm given is it's like, where do, how do I kind of bring up a conversation about meds. I feel like there is a huge stigma around meds and I just feel like even talking to parents and youth, I just like don't even know where to start, like how to approach and especially from people who are listening, like friends and family members, where do they start? You know, medication, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist or a prescribing doctor of medication, so I can't speak directly from the medical concept of that. However, I always am in collaboration with any other health professional that might be working alongside a client of mine, and that would obviously be in terms of what we call pharmacological treatment or psychotropic medication. It's a sensitive topic, medication, especially as it relates to mental health. I think that, there again, there are a lot of stereotypes and stigmas around what types of medications are out there and how they influence our overall concept of life, how they affect our functioning. I think that the best way that I tend to approach those types of conversations is I, I try to normalize the experience. And I try to remind clients that part of their treatment process, part of their work, right, in terms of their personal growth might include some additional support as it relates to their neurochemical makeup, Right. And so I always say, like, you know, if you're injured physically, you're going to seek out potentially some additional support, some additional evaluation to get the best treatment possible. And sometimes that's medication. You know, if you have a, you know, migraine headache, you know, my wife struggles with those immensely. She has to take a medication for that, right? If oh my she God, doesn't, the worst. The worst. Absolutely. Yeah. They're very debilitating, you know? And so do you stay in that pain cycle or do you seek out that treatment, right? And so she sought out that treatment. If I hurt my, if I sprain my ankle, if I break my arm, if I have a headache, you know, do I push through, which some do? Do I find alternative treatments, which there are plenty out there? Yes. And which I'm a big believer in, in terms of holistic and naturopathic ways of treating. But sometimes our neurochemical makeup, our biology, our genes, uh, don't allow for those things to just kind of be fixed, I would say. I don't know. You know, I don't like that word fixed. It's more so rebalance in a way that allows us to function at the levels we want. And so medication is a part of that process. Medication is not forever and it's not for everyone, but done in a right way with the right treatment team, with the right professional supporting the process, it can be highly beneficial. 
And so I educate my clients based on what I understand as far as it relates to the power of medication if it's needed. But I also educate around alternative treatment aspects too. Like what are some other things like supplements or naturopathic ways of nutrition, exercise? I'm huge about, you know, looking at all domains of our life. Because if we don't, we're missing a piece, right? And so in my intake process, when I'm working initially with a client, we look at all of those different areas and how they function for you. And again, we look at, do you take medication? If you don't, what are your philosophies on it? How do you believe in it? And then we kind of work from there. You can't convince a client to take medication, right? So there have been times where I'm like, this client definitely needs something, right? But... Yeah. At the same time, you can meet a client where they're at. You can meet a person where they're at. You can meet a human where they're at. And you can allow them, as you say, to tell me more about their experience around medication. And then we can learn from it and we can work to kind of curtail the, the philosophy they have. Yeah, I think that definitely when I'm talking to kids my age or when I'm talking even to some adults that I just feel like, I can't break through the stigma. Like I just like, even when I'm trying to like go to facts, that it just seems like a lot of people are just like a cold no. And I'm like, but this could help. And it's just like, I can't break through it. So I just wanted to know like where you go. And I think that definitely going more towards facts and just learning more about the person is just a great way to view the, the task at hand. Yeah, it's meeting somebody where they're at, right? It's meeting a person, you know, in the scope of perspective they have. And it's really being curious about, okay, if it is a cold no, understanding where that comes from, where is that belief kind of embedded and why is that? And if it truly is a cold no, which is acceptable in some cases, okay, what can we do to find other types of resources or treatments or support that might be also beneficial for you? Yeah, 100%. Keeping an open mind. Yeah. I think with that, my next question would be with when talking specifically to parents, it would be Mm. like what, and they have a kid who is struggling with mental health issues is like, where, like, how do you approach that type of situation? Because when I'm talking to parents, it's definitely like utmost of care, obviously, but it's also just like, I want to not like scare anybody because like mental health and like disorders that are surrounded by mental health and mental illness does come with such a heavy stigma it also just seems like something that I want I just want to like educate the parents but I like I just want to know how you would go about it it's a great question and you know I am again parent influence parent involvement in the process of creating a healthy opportunity for a teen or any youth for that matter to get involved in uh, accessing sports and resources in, in terms of their mental health is, is, I can't rest the importance behind that because I don't think parents always understand the influences that they have. And even if they do understand, they're not willing to take a look in the mirror to say, how am I influencing this process? For I think as a parent myself of two little ones, but not a teen, but having worked with teens as well, and I do a lot of team work as it relates to my my clients because I bring parents in many times because they have to be a part of the process if the client's willing for that. When I talk to parents, I say, you know, one of the key areas is be curious, seek connection, right? And simply make yourself available for your kids. 
right? I think sometimes what happens is, is that parents want to push, they want to probe, they want to fix, they want to make better whatever's going on for their children, especially with teens. And that approach is not always the approach that's needed or wanted from their child, right? But instead of asking what it is that is needed, they keep going, right? Because what that does for a parent is it curbs their own anxiety, it curbs their own stress. It's a resolution factor. Parents get scared. They're fearful and they want to take care of their children. Many of them want to take care of their children the best ways possible. And when our children are going through really deep struggles, especially as it relates to mental health, there's a helplessness, right? And so what I tell parents is try not to lead with fear, lead with an approach of understanding. Don't dismiss approach. Don't be judgmental. Don't be critical. Be available, be understanding, seek insight into your teen's experience. And when you do that, whenever that teen or whenever that youth is ready, they will open up. Sometimes it's a matter of just holding that space physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually for all those things, right? Yeah. And just sitting down saying, you know what? I'm here when you're ready to talk to me. Yeah. And I, I think, think that's always a great prompt. Yeah, I think that's great. I think definitely Ride for Mental Health kind of gives off those same vibes with parents. It's just like, just listen. Just the three yeah. magic words. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's just super important. Yeah, and I think parents struggle with just listening, right? Yeah, 100%. And, yeah, and so I think that's a great, it is about tell me more. It's about just allowing uh, for there to be an opportunity to share not share based on an expectation a parent has, but on the willingness and desire of their child to share. No matter if it's, how was your day? It was good. Thank you. Or if it's more of a kind of a deep conversation about what's going on for them. Yeah. I'd say my final question here is, how have you personally started to remove the stigma around mental health? Well, I do it for a living, right? I mean, it's kind of built into my I was just going to say, I think there's so much. Yeah. There's so much around that. But, you know, I think that ultimately, how have I done that? I, I think that in my, my later years here of my career, I've become an advocate. I truly have shifted the way that I practice. I practice more in alignment with my own personal beliefs around mental health and ultimately just overall wellness in general. I'm a huge proponent of mind, body, and performance. And when we talk about performance, it's not just performance, say, out on the slope. It's performance in your life. And we're always performing in some way, shape, or form. And so, you know, it is truly about the advocacy piece, getting out and educating, getting out and talking to teams like yourself, building an understanding and a cultural that can really enable those that need to to find a voice. Because mental health is not going anywhere. It's built into our, you know, human concept. And ultimately, if we can become more authentic in our approach of accepting mental health, which we are definitely working towards in many different fashions and and different platforms and different organizations, such as yourself, the more we get out there and talk about it, the less we did, the more we just destigmatize it, right? Talking about it takes away the fear. Talking about it takes away the negative energy. It makes it normalized. And that's really an approach that we want to take. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the Tell Me More podcast. 
Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Tell Me More podcast. I am your host, Pippa Scott. Please subscribe if you like what you're hearing. And don't forget, tell your friends you love them.